1: And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic.
2: You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people.
1: We have to make our country great again, and I will do that.
2: I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baird.
1: As President Biden addresses Congress for the State of the Union Address, two polls in two days show a majority of voters want a candidate Besides President Biden on the 2024 ticket. I want to talk to the American people and let them know the state of affairs, what's going on, what I'm looking forward to working on from this point on, what we've done and uh, just have a conversation with the American people. This as more answers emerge from the Chinese spy balloon that was shot down by U.S. fighter jets over the coast of South Carolina. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. National political correspondent for NPR, Mar Lyson, editor at large of The Spectator, host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich, and Fox News White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich. Jackie, what's the White House looking to do here uh, with this speech, the State of the Union address? A lot of times these are shopping lists of possible programs, but this comes as this president is considering a run for reelection.
3: Yeah, Brett, this speech has long been considered to be sort of an anchor to his 2024 announcement, which is expected sometime soon after the State of the Union. So we can expect him to tout his administration's achievements, the things that we often hear him Um, Speaking about the CHIPS Act, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, his phrases that he always goes back to growing the economy from the bottom up and the middle out. I think that one thing that we're watching for is whether or not he has any sort of a partisan undertone to this speech. Uh, We've heard reporting that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy specifically asked the president not to assail ultra mega Republicans during his address. We know that on Thursday, he's going to be heading to Florida to talk about GOP efforts to, as he says, uh, break down Medicare and Social Security. So I think what we're going to be watching for is when he talks about the future, when he's got to split Congress and possibly not a lot he can get done legislatively, how does he sort of bridge that gap between talking about what he wants to achieve and not assailing Uh, Republicans, ultra MAGA Republicans, and delivering a a speech that's presidential and a State of the Union rather than a campaign speech.
1: Right, because Mara, the speeches of late to the party faithful have used those lines, the ultra MAGA Republicans, the extreme Republicans. Uh, He's called them crazy at times. Is this a bipartisan outreach kind of speech, or is this laying a marker down to say we're not going to do X, Y, Z?
4: Yeah, I think it's going to do both, but I think that It's going to mostly use the House Republicans as a foil. This is a curtain raiser for his reelection campaign. And of course, he'll talk about bipartisanship and reaching across the aisle because that's part of Joe Biden's brand. But as you mentioned, he's been positioning himself as the reasonable adult who passes popular bipartisan things against those crazy extremists, ultra-mega Republicans. And he might not say those exact words. So yes, I think there's going to be a lot of contrast using republicans as a foil even if the language isn't so much red meat
1: yeah and ben this comes in the backdrop obviously of of what has to be negotiated and that is this debt ceiling increase uh the president saying that he wants a clean debt ceiling increase and the house speaker mccarthy saying that's not going to happen we're going to have to see some negotiation so that negotiation is going to happen it's just whether you tie it together or you don't tie it together but they're going to have to deal with that one way or another
2: and i think that one of the big parts of uh, kevin mccarthy's meeting at the white house with the president was about sending a signal to him that if if you put a situation in place where mccarthy has to negotiate and deal with uh, an inflamed right flank On these fiscal issues, it's only going to be more difficult uh, to come to an ultimate conclusion. You know, one of the things that uh, Jackie cited is, of course, he's going to be heading down to Florida, uh, the president to uh, to go after Republicans on issues like Medicare and Social Security. Obviously, I assume he's going to cite uh, the proposals put forward by people like Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, um, which is, of course, was uh, one of the issues that he talked about a good deal in the campaign. But that also comes at a point where, you know, some of these same quote unquote ultra mega Republicans, including those in the Senate who are uh, new uh, in terms of their uh, role in Washington, are also the same people who are saying that Medicare and Social Security should be off the table, uh, that that type of old age entitlement uh, should not be something that Republicans go about cutting, including Josh Hawley, uh, you know, introducing legislation that would try uh, attempt to remove it. Uh, officially from this these types of debt negotiations going forward. So there's a, a little bit of gamesmanship going on here. One of the things that I think will be most interesting is what the president uh, does or does not say when it comes to an issue where there could be some bipartisan agreement, and that's on the issue of China, which obviously takes on new flavors in the aftermath of this balloon scandal that's going on in front of us over the past
3: week.
1: Yeah, Jackie, do we have a sense of how much or how little uh, China may come up in this speech?
3: Well, we know that the president's going to reference the spy balloon. We heard from White House officials this morning saying that China was always going to be a theme in this talk and that uh, our foreign policy is always going to be sort of a, a big focus of his of his speech. And it's been a big focus of his administration as well. They've denied that he had to rewrite portions of his speech after the spy balloon incident. But I think what is really interesting is sort of how it's going to be received by those in the audience. We know that House Republicans almost held a vote today condemning President Biden over his handling of the spy balloon. But several members, uh, House Republican members, pressured GOP leadership to drop that effort and instead deliver a bipartisan resolution condemning China uh, that could come as soon as later this week. So that on the issue of China, the two parties in Congress would still be speaking with one voice. Of course, that has not stopped critics on both sides of the aisle from you know, expressing concern with why wouldn't we know about this sooner? Why didn't he take action sooner? Has he been transparent? Did he actually protect sensitive information from being gathered by China? There are a lot of You know lingering questions but i think that he's going to probably go back to the basics on china which has always been we have to have a you know competitive relationship with china but we don't want to outright talk about them as an adversary and that may not in light of the spy balloon land well with some moderates on both sides of the aisle who will want to hear stronger rhetoric from him
1: yeah i mean (laughs) there it's pretty in your face Mara, if you've got a spy balloon oh, my floating over the country yeah. and everybody looks at it and says, wait, yes. this is the country we're supposed to be getting along with?
4: Yeah, I think that the interesting thing to me about China as a political issue is is a bipartisan issue. The CHIPS Act was passed with bipartisan majorities. Both parties see China as a competitor, adversary, they know that we have to be more competitive, both in terms of military might and economic might. But there's also this huge competition to see which party can look tougher on China. And, uh, you know, the Republicans are saying you should have shot down the balloon earlier. Uh, the White House is saying, well, we shot it down when it, the debris wouldn't fall on civilians and when we still had a chance of rescuing the the inners of the balloon to see what kind of uh, uh, technology we can, we can learn about, about that China has. But I think some of this is just performative politics. Both parties understand that China is a big issue. and But to the extent that they can any get any kind of political advantage, you're going to see Biden criticized as being too soft on China. And then the Democrats are going to say, well, there were some Chinese balloons that that went over the United States during the Trump administration, and the Pentagon didn't even tell us about that.
1: So. Right. And we would had some more reporting on that today from Jennifer Griffin and the Pentagon team saying that those balloons went into U.S. airspace just briefly and yeah, briefly. Uh, did not go up the chain of command uh, as a, you know, they weren't loitering. See, Trump yeah, exactly. was not aware. Well, At least. Yeah. yeah and, and either was. Pompeo or a right. whole bunch of other people that have come out on the record and saying they knew nothing about it. But Ben, there are some you know, cross currents here, and that is there's one select committee that is uh, chaired by Congressman Gallagher uh, on China that is a bipartisan committee looking at all kinds of different aspects of the challenges between the U.S.-China relationship. And then obviously you have the oversight committees and the investigations into Hunter Biden and all of that, which they argue will lead to a place where the Biden family profited in one way or another from relationships from China. And Mm -hmm. because of all of that, there is this like, uh, you know, the bipartisanship on this issue is not that strong because there's an allegation out there that perhaps the president is soft on China for one reason or another tied to other activities.
2: You know, I have a, a lengthy profile of Congressman Gallagher and look look at the select committee and, and the spectator. Uh, and one of the things that really became apparent in reporting that piece out was that – the test of this bipartisanship really hasn't happened yet. I completely agree with Mara that this is a bipartisan note that is being sounded, you know, rare in Washington on both sides, uh, where you, you see both sides trying to sound tougher, but we really haven't seen it tested yet in terms of what that looks like. You know, it's one thing to demagogue about TikTok to a receptive audience of, of parents who vote. Uh, it's another thing to do something more significant legislatively. The house, Financial Services Committee for instance held their first hearing under chairman new chairman uh, Patrick McHenry and they were looking at a bunch of different, uh, you know, economic steps that could be taken. Steps that would push back against uh, d- different things that China has done, but also steps that could uh, look at onshoring a lot of capabilities. Things that uh, Democrat Ro Khanna has been emphasizing, for instance, in recent years. And we really haven't seen that tested yet in terms of people having to vote and and put their money where their mouth is on this issue. And I think that we may end up having to see that simply because of the dynamics and the trajectory that's going on. Uh, You know, it's one thing to look into Hunter Biden from the oversight perspective, uh, but you still have these major problems with which both parties uh, agree on. And when you see that uh, level of agreement expressed publicly, people start to wait for something to actually happen. That's the thing that I think is going to be most interesting about this upcoming Congress.
0: Panel, we'll hold it right there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: Finally, the politics of this moment, Jackie, uh, the president all... Indications are he is going to run for re-election, and uh, people are saying that. However, he hasn't really said it uh, officially, and you know there are some headwinds here. There are some polls that are really upside down, as far as even Democrats saying they want him to run. It's so under water those those numbers, and then his approval has taken a hit let alone his vice president, uh, taking a hit job from the New York Times and Politico and other places. So what about you know the politics of this inside the Democratic Party from where you sit? Is, is it a done deal or is there any chance that this president's not running for re-election?
3: Everything I'm hearing is that he will be running again. Everyone's preparing for that announcement soon and that his you know, vice presidential candidate will be Kamala Harris. I think what I'm watching for in this speech is how much does he tout his administration's achievements as though people have felt them? Or does he acknowledge that people are paying more for things like gas and eggs, there's work to do, um, and then also try to show the progress that has been made under his administration. That's going to be a tough line to walk for him. I also wonder, you know, you can't very well lay out a legislative plan for the second half of this term with a divided Congress like it is. So when he talks about, you know, the future and hope and opportunity and possibilities like he often does, is he going to be laying out new initiatives? If so, what are they? Or is it just going to be something pretty generic, like his cancer moonshot um, and things that, you know, aren't exactly enough to build a presidential campaign off of. Um, I also think there's one big difference between the 2020 election and heading into 2024, and that is the war in Ukraine. And by all measures, Biden has been pretty successful in keeping NATO aligned against Russia here. But anything could change in an instant. Putin's rhetoric has been escalatory the whole time. There's a chance he uses a tactical nuke or a chemical weapon or a a nuclear weapon, and then everything could could change in an instant. Um, So I, I think that Biden will again try to make the case that he has led the effort you know, to keep autocracy at bay and fight for the good of democracies all over the world. But we've got the issue of Turkey blocking Finland and Sweden from joining NATO. I know that the president did not bring up Turkey blocking uh, these two countries on his call with Erdogan the other day when he just gave his condolences over the building collapse. And that to me says you know, there's a a real moment here where he's got to act, because as we get closer and closer to this June meeting, Putin's going to have an opportunity to say, well, NATO might not be as aligned as the president says it is. And if Biden's administration doesn't do some more to push Turkey to drop their opposition here, that big argument could fall apart for the president. So I, I think that he has to be, you know, Stronger in his his push as we get closer to the June meeting mm-hmm. um, to get Finland and NATO or get Finland and Sweden into NATO because they're in a limbo state where anything that would embroil you know NATO countries and triggering Article Four or Article Five would put them in a really precarious spot and they are getting antsy about it. I know from my discussions with uh, diplomatic sources on from both of those countries.
1: Mara, just when politicians are getting antsy, uh, there are some. Democrats who are whispering in the wind oh. that even, they're they're ready to jump if uh, he well, says he's not going.
4: Well, I, yeah, well that's that's one that people are still wondering: is he really going to run? The thing that's so interesting to me about tonight is here's a president who has theoretically a lot of positive signs about the State of the Union to point to. He has a good jobs report. Inflation seems to be coming down. COVID in the rearview mirror. He's passed a lot of popular things that now he can implement. These are not voters who don't like his proposals. They agree with them. They just think he's too old. And there's almost nothing he can do about that. Um, and I and in terms of, of waiting in the wings to jump in in case he decides not to, that is a very fraught question for the Democratic Party. So this is a very kind of perilous moment for the Democratic Party, even though they did better than expected in the midterms. 2024 is still really cloudy.
1: Well, we'll try to get uh, some sunshine in here to figure it out before all that starts. <laughs> uh, panel, thank you so much. Now for a bit of history. The State of the Union was not always surrounded by the pomp and circumstance of today's speech. Uh, president George Washington began the tradition of delivering the address in person. However, President Jefferson ended that tradition, opting instead to deliver a written speech to Congress. The tradition of the written address would be followed until 1913 when Woodrow Wilson revived the practice of a presidential pres. President on Capitol Hill. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. From Mara, Ben and Jackie, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.